0: Well, please turn if you would in your copy of God's Holy Word to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, and as we continue our exposition of Luke's gospel, we find ourselves in verse 46 this morning. Last, well, as as we come now to the close of Christ's sermon on the plain, we conclude our Lord's ethical preaching at the end of this sermon. And as another reminder, as we are prone to forget these things, we remember that the ethics of the kingdom are not the way of salvation, but they are the fruit of our salvation and are meant to be the heart of the Christian in pursuit of these things. That those who are born again are given a heart that desires to obey Christ and his ways. Well, with that, then, we turn to the very end of this sermon Luke 6, verse 46. And give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word, as we hear the very words of God. And why call, me, call ye me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house, and dig deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray for the preaching. O Lord, our God, we come once again to challenging words from Jesus Christ. And the minister who preaches is incapable of preaching such such hard things, such hard sayings in his own flesh. And if he does, he is prone and tempted to not show the glory of Jesus Christ in it. And so, Father, we pray that you would give your help to the preacher who preaches that your spirit would enable the minister to preach up Christ and to, that the, the people of God may hear his voice. They desire to hear Christ's voice, O God. Would you grant them their prayer? And for all the people who will now hear, whether converted or not, we pray that your spirit would open their hearts, that those who are unconverted would be converted to Christ, and those who are converted may hear more of their beloved Savior and conform their life and, uh, and practice to his, his teachings. O Father, in all these things, Lord, we pray for the glory of Jesus. And so you have asked, O God, is not my word like as a fire and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? We say, yes, Lord, it is. And so may your word now come down as fire, and may your word be as a hammer that smashes our stony heart in pieces. For we ask this for the glory of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we now come to the conclusion of our Lord's Sermon on the Plain. In some ways, as I was meditating on this text this week, it was very hard to leave this sermon behind us. Because ultimately, it is such a great joy to hear the Master himself preach. Jesus Christ, the greatest preacher ever known to man and ever could be. And you think of the great manner of skill and wisdom that he applied in his preaching. He begins by calling all of us the poor in spirit. Those of us who are poor in spirit, those who sense we have no righteousness at all, we are called to come and find the unsearchable riches of Christ in him. And he gives us four beatitudes, four, four marks of happiness that shows us the eternal blessedness of all those who would come to him. And then he casts four woes on those who are all too satisfied in this present age, this present world. Casting these woes so that we would flee from a love of ease in this world and to find eternal happiness in Jesus, even if it seems very hard to us. And then he has challenged us to bear fruit in our lives that reflect a new birth. And he exhorted us with the Christian ethic, which is to love all men, even your enemies to be merciful, to be charitable, to be forgiving, to be benevolent. Be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. Live as the children of God. He warned us of religious hypocrisy. He told us to follow only men who follow him. He said to men who would lead his people like the apostles before him, they must be Christly men themselves and to model Christ for their people. And so the scope of Christ's sermon in such little space has been extraordinary. I believe this is the 12th sermon we're having on this portion of the gospel. And he exemplifies true preaching for us, right? His preaching not only challenges us, but it also it gives us comfort as we look to him. This is the manner of preaching of our Lord, preaching that draws all men to himself for salvation, but also calls them to conform their lives to him after they are saved, and all by the grace of God, of course. Now, though I did say, right, we are about to leave the sermon behind us, Jesus Christ concludes the sermon by saying, don't you dare leave the sermon behind you. Don't you dare do that. Don't leave what I have just preached to you. He said, you have heard my preaching, but don't just come to hear what I have to say. Don't just come, hear what I have to say for a little bit, and then walk away. You are to leave the place in which you have heard me preach, and go and live out the preached word. He says, to do anything less than that, beloved, is to dishonor him and to not see him as your Lord. No matter what words you say to him, you might say, Lord, Lord, emphatically you are my king. But if you don't do what he says, he is no king to you at all. You know, he has not given you and me in the word of God suggestions on how to live our life. He has not given good opinions and musings that he has come up with In the preached word, the Lord commands us. It is our duty to listen to him and do what he says. And so he asks us all the question, why do you call me your Lord if you don't do what I say? And he says, for those of us who will walk away, uh, maybe even nodding after he, he, he gives us his word, but then not do what he says. He says there are consequences for those who walk in that manner that their lives will be swept away when trials and tribulations come, and of course in the final judgment. Because their lives really are not rooted in Christ, no matter what their profession of faith says. So with that introduction, our theme is our need to build our life on Christ's lordship. Our need to build our life on Christ's lordship. And we'll consider it under just two headings this morning. First is our need to enthrone Christ over our heart, and second is to see that those who do will endure the floods of this life and the judgment to come. So first, enthroning Jesus. In other words, where I would like to begin is this thought. What you and I must do is make sure that our heart has a king, and that king must not be our flesh. That king must not be ourself. That king must be Jesus Christ. He is Lord over all even over our own hearts. The Christian must ever say and think, I have a king. I have a king, and it's not me. It's not me. I need to listen to my Lord. I need to listen to what he has to say. He tells me to go, and I must go. He says, do this, and I must do this, because I am just his servant. That is something precious few Christians do. But he says, we dishonor him. Think of how we dishonor him, right? We come to Jesus Christ for all his precious blessings. We come to receive grace abundant that he showers upon us. Salvation as a free gift. Received freely by faith alone. And all of it is through his own travails. The king of glory himself. The Lord of glory crucified, as the Bible says. God in the flesh to take the wrath that we owe God for our sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, that we might have the adoption of sons, that we might have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, that we might be found in heaven eternally. We come to Him for all these blessed benefits. Grace for grace, the Bible says we have received from Jesus. We glory in it. We revel in it. We praise Him this day for it. But then He sends to us His commandments that by the Spirit indwelling in you, he says, live as a Christian, and we treat them like mere suggestions and not commandments. Maybe even thinking, right, we, we look at the commandments of God and even the ethical teachings here in this text, we say, well, maybe I'll follow that one. That one seems not so hard for me. But to love my enemies as myself, to be forgiving to others, to be benevolent to those in need, to die to self No, thank you, Jesus. And we say, in effect, um, anyhow, thank you very much, Jesus, for saving me. I guess I will see you in heaven sometime. Well, if that's your attitude to the Redeemer, he says, don't be so sure about that. Don't be so sure, friend. In verse 46, Jesus says, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? It's just a very basic and penetrating question. Well, let's look at the context of what's been going on here, because we might have forgotten. In verse 47, he addresses this statement to, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings. Well, that addresses all of us today, doesn't it? All of us today have come to hear Jesus in the word of God, haven't we? We have come to hear Jesus. And many people, we have to be reminded, come to Jesus to listen. But not all of them are his, though. The occasion of this sermon, as you remember how the chapter began, he had just chosen his 12 apostles in verse 13. And with them, a great multitude of disciples and peoples came, and this is what the Bible says, to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And as he preached, Christ knows that these two reasons are why many souls come to hear him. There is a sense, both a sense of need as well as curiosity over Jesus sometimes, right? There's a sense of felt need. It's the same today. All who might come to hear Jesus and the word of God, some come for a need they sense in their souls. Maybe some feel despondent. Maybe they've heard that in the Bible you will find the meaning of life. Some are desperately ill and desperate. And now, you know, religion is the the last refuge of the scoundrel, as they say. Perhaps their conscience has been inflamed as they sense that it is not well with their soul. These are like those who came to Jesus for healing and the forgiveness of sins. In other words, some only come to Jesus to claim his benefits. You see that today. Even the word preached is often like this. Jesus can punch your ticket to go to heaven, but follow him. No, not interested. He knows this. The Lord knows this about those who come to hear him. Then others come just to hear him speak out of curiosity, maybe even to marvel. And so many of us are like that, friends, and maybe you don't realize this. Maybe you just have a keen interest in this book like you would with any other puzzle. Maybe it's just something really remarkable, and I just want to see how it's all put together. And every time I hear the word of God, I just see, oh, wow, that's interesting how that came together with that part of the text. The Bible is just a very interesting book. Or maybe the doctrines of the word are incredible and extraordinary. Maybe Jesus Christ, its main figure, is captivating to you. Maybe he is mind-blowing even. But friends, let me just say, even God's enemies marvel at the Bible. Infamous atheist Richard Dawkins wrote this, A native speaker of English who has never read a word of the King James Bible is verging on the barbarian. This man hates God, but when he opens up a a Bible, and translation aside, when he opens up the Bible, he says, this is beautiful, this is incredible, and if you haven't read it, in fact, you're like a barbarian. But with hatred in his heart, he swiftly adds, whatever else the Bible might be, and it really is a great work of literature, it is not a moral book. I'll leave the irony of being lectured uh, on morals by an atheist for another day. But that said, you see, there is a natural, natural recognition in the mind of natural man that this is something unlike any other book that has ever been written, because it truly does come from God. But you see what utter blasphemy he committed to see this book as good literature and not God-breathed, that doesn't have authority over our lives, right? That it is no different than the works of Shakespeare to him, just a good book. Instead of the good book. But Jesus said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. John chapter 5. The point of this book is to bring you to Jesus that you would have life as you submit your life to him. Every time... You know, every time Richard Dawkins picks up his copy of the King James Bible and reads it, Jesus Christ is calling to him to have eternal life, to take life as a free gift. But he's also telling Dawkins, you will not come to me that you might have it. Make no mistake, though, friends, and this is something for us to think about when a man is that hardened. Even after 81 years of shaking his fist at Christ, that's how old Dawkins is. Richard Dawkins can still be saved even until his last day. Pray for his conversion, friends. Pray desperately that this man might be like Saul of Tarsus who becomes a great witness for Christ. He can be saved. Why? Because this is a trustworthy saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even the chief. I praise God for that truth because otherwise I myself could never have been saved at 30 years of age much less 80. And the same is true for you all. I pray each of you has come to Jesus for eternal life. But I want to tell you, it is of no use, beloved, it is of no use, beloved, to sit and marvel at the word of God, to marvel at the words that Jesus has spoken, because it is of a truth. No man has ever spake as this man spake. Even Gandhi recognized that about Jesus Christ, but he would not come to him for life. All of us must not just marvel at the words, not just be curious about what Jesus says. You must go today to Christ, and all who go to him will be saved. But this Lord, this Jesus, is not just a gracious Savior of men. He is also the Lord over all men, friends. No Christian, none, can take him as Savior and refuse to take him as their Lord. None. He is, what do we call him? What does the Bible call him? He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord over all, but even more so over you who believe. What does 1 Corinthians 6.19 say? Ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Every body and every soul belongs to God. But doubly so the believer. You are, you are God's in a way that the unbeliever is not. Believer, you are not just made by Christ, but you're also redeemed by Christ with a terrible price. What a thing it is to tell to Jesus, tell Jesus, us, I will take you as my savior for my sake. I will take you myself for all your benefits, but I will not take you up as my Lord. Keep your throne off of my heart is believers believers must not just accept the lordship of Christ they are to be willingly and cheerfully obedient to him it is a consequence the bible says of the new birth it comes with our salvation in other words Jesus Christ should not be twisting your arm right now to follow any of his commands in Psalm 110 verse 3 what do we hear the father promised the son of God thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power Jesus Christ gets his inheritance. His people are made willing. Are you a willing people then? Willing to come to Christ and willing to submit to Christ as well? That must be your heart's orientation. Have you, all of you, said, I will take Jesus both as my Lord and my Savior? And not just say it, friends. Maybe you've been interviewed for membership and you agree to the query that says that Jesus Christ is my Lord as well as Savior. He's asking this morning from out of the text, am I truly your Lord? Or do you just call me that? Is it just uh, really at the end of the day taking my name in vain, a violation of the third commandment? When I say Lord to you, Jesus, am I really, really blaspheming your name? Because I refuse to submit to you. Is it just so ingrained in you to say it, but you have no idea what it means? And that's why he asks, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? This is a penetrating question, friends. It reveals whether our profession of Jesus as our Lord is true. By making you reflect on this question, do I do the things Jesus tells me to do? Now, this entire Bible, I want to remind you, is Christ speaking to us, all of it. Not just the red letters you find in certain printings of the Bible, where Jesus speaks in the flesh. Jesus is the Word of God incarnated, all of it. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14. So all this Bible is his speech to us, which means we must learn the whole counsel of God, both Old and New Testament. And we must follow it under his lordship. To know the scripture is to know the mind of Christ. And to know the mind of Christ is to follow what the scriptures teach. And so, once again, you remember this was his charge last time. He is actually dealing with the same theme hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. He says some of us emphatically call him Lord. We say, Lord, Lord, boys and girls. This is how the scripture emphasizes a point, a double repetition. You remember that verily, verily, or amen, amen, which means certainly, truly, truly, most assuredly, amen. So what he's saying is, there are some of us who emphatically say, yes, Jesus is, and I mean it, my Lord. But he asks, why do this wretched thing, O hypocrite? Why emphatically call me your Lord but you refuse to obey me. Why well, do it? He warns of this kind of thing elsewhere, and it's truly, truly frightening to think of because he says this in Matthew seven twenty-two and 23. And they'll say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, here it is again, right? It's the same idea. Have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers, ye that work iniquity. You know, the persons portrayed in this text, and we often go over it too quickly, the persons portrayed in this text are an interesting case study. You know, in one sense, and I want you to think of it this way, these are persons obsessed, in one sense, with proclaiming the lordship of Jesus Christ. You think of this, They preach in the name of Jesus, they want to cast out devils in the name of Jesus. They're there to tell the whole world and the demons themselves, Jesus is Lord. But what they will not do is submit to Christ's lordship over themselves. What will He tell them? "I never knew you. Depart from me." Why? Because they are workers of what? iniquity. They do not obey His commandments. They are hypocrites to the core. They were never his at all. Begone into hell is what he will tell them. Beloved, I just want to say this hypocrisy is rampant in our circles today. One day many will say, Lord, Lord, did I not entangle with the atheist? One day many will say, Lord, Lord, did I not preach on the streets against unbelief? One day many will say, Lord, Lord, did I not proclaim your crown rights over both church and state? And his rebuke is going to be to so many. Why did you never proclaim my crown rights over your own heart? Be gone from me, you worker of iniquity. The Bible is replete with warnings over confessing God with our mouth only. You remember our time in Malachi. You remember his probing question, which really forms the basis of the book. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Malachi 1 6. You say to me, God says, the Lord says to his people, You say, I'm your master. You say, I'm your father. Where then is my honor? Where then is my fear? Why call me Master, Master? Why call me Father, Father? Why call me Lord, Lord? If you call me these things and you don't honor me, you don't fear me, and you don't obey me. <laughs> Beloved, in James 1, what do you hear? Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Right? This is our gospel hope. That the word of God. The faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. But... Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Why? Deceiving your own selves. You heard last week in the afternoon that we are an easily deceived people, friends. We must always have a little bit of suspicion, not a little bit, a lot of suspicion about ourselves and our motives. But God says one way you know you are not deceived is that uh, you are not just a hearer of the word of God, but a doer. And that is a barometer of whether we are deluded about our religion. You know, in Luke's next chapter, and I'm really looking forward to preaching on this text, one of my favorite texts, we observe Jesus interact with the centurion. And Luke, what I like about Luke's gospel is he often backs up Jesus' sayings with a real-life illustration just in the next page, so to speak. And so we have an illustration in the life of a man of what Jesus is saying here. And listen to how the centurion tells Jesus how his soldiers handle the centurion's authority. The centurion says, For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth. And to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. And of course, Jesus marvels at the man, doesn't he? I would love just preaching on the idea of Jesus marveling at faith in his people. And he says, I have not found such faith in all Israel as this. If this would be the response, beloved, to the words of Christ in our heart, that when Jesus says go, you go where he tells you. When Jesus says do, you do what he tells you to do. When Jesus says come, you come to him in the manner that he wants you to come to him. And is he not more worthy of that kind of adoration and obedience than the centurion was? And that man's soldiers loved and adored their master so much they would do unhesitantly whatever he said. And we are prone, beloved, to do far, far less to the king of kings and the lord of lords. Is he not worthy of more obedience than your boss or your governor? Gets from you, What a terrible thing it is, friends, that we obey mere men with more cheerfulness and obedience than we do the Lord. And I just want to say, you know, we don't have a lot of time to go through all motivations for obeying the Lord. Certainly the fear of God is there, but especially you must do this if you know the Lord out of a heart of love for the Savior. He says to really love me is to obey me. In John 14, 23, 24, if a man love me, see that? If a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. When a man or woman truly loves the Jesus of the Bible, the effect I have always observed is that such a soul begins to yearn to keep the Lord's commandments. They know he has said, "If you love me, keep my commandments." John 14:15. And they say, "In effect, O oh, precious Lord, tell me where to go and I will go. Tell me what to do and I will do that." Friends, the more you grow in love for Jesus, the more you understand why. And every passing year, I understand just a little bit more, and my my understanding is nowhere near what it ought to be. But you understand more why the greatest commandment is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. If a man or woman says they love Jesus and does not treat him as their king, then can they truly love him? No. No. Fealty through love is what Jesus wants. And he doesn't have to do this, friends, but he has promised to you, promised to you that he is the rewarder of those few who will honor him as their lord. He doesn't have to, right? You know, the obedience is reward enough as, as we say in this world. But such is the nature of our benevolent and loving king that in 1 Samuel 3:20 he says, "For them that honor me, I will honor and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And he says later in the same book, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken or listen, boys and girls, than the fat of rams. First Samuel 15, 22. Now, insofar as that is addressing worship, We all have to take a good long look at what he says. King Jesus, and we're sitting here in worship right now. King Jesus says he is provoked by those who worship him, who come to offer the fruit of their lips, the sacrifice of praise today, but then waltz out of this service ignoring the commandments of God. In the preaching and reading of the word of God, you are hearing the voice of Christ. And the worship of God is primarily in the New Testament, especially about hearing the voice of the Lord. And you must think of it this way, that we come to adore our king when we listen to what he has to say out of his word. That is an act of worship. The singing alone is not worship. The hearing and obeying of Christ is connected to our worship. And Christian worship is all about ascribing honor and power and glory to Jesus. That's where that word worship comes from, ascribing worth. So when we leave this worship service, we must leave obeying what we heard, or we are not really worshipers of God. To obey is better than sacrifice, better than the sacrifice of praise in God's eyes. And listen to this, after he says that in 1 Samuel After saying obedience is better than sacrifice, 1 Samuel 15.23 reminds us, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Beloved, there is a connection between Christ's lordship and our worship. It is idolatrous, friends. You need to see this. It is idolatrous to say you worship Jesus and not do the things he says. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. It's as a sin of witchcraft. It is evil in his eyes. Because you don't really worship Jesus Christ as he is. You worship a Jesus Christ of your own imagining. One who has no power. One who has no authority. One who has no claim over your heart. You say, thank you, I will worship you with my lips. And then I walk out this door proving I don't really worship the true Christ because I won't listen to what he has to say. Idolatry. That's all that is, the sin of witchcraft. What you must do, beloved, is to resolve to know the will of Christ in the Bible, to hear him, but also resolve to obey what it says from the heart. Now, we must never forget these things, even as we had in our call to worship that it's all of grace, right, that we do anything in the Christian life. The power to obey comes from the Lord himself. And he has taught you this when he taught you how to pray, beloved of God. In the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, well, first, what you have to get is the order right in the petitions. The second petition is, and boys and girls, you know this from your catechism and the word of God, the second petition is thy kingdom come, isn't it? Now, you need to pray that before before the third petition, which is thy will be done. And you might think... Right, I need to pray thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven first as I listen to the words of Christ. No, you pray the second petition first that Christ would enthrone himself on your heart. Thy kingdom come not just out there nebulously, but in here in my own heart first. The kingdom must come here first. And then after he is king of my heart, I can pray that his almighty power would enable me to do his will in earth as it is in heaven Then only the petition makes sense. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. After he is king. And you think of heaven, right? You think of the pictures of heaven that we have in the Bible. The throne of Jesus Christ. The lamb in the midst of the throne. And what are the angels doing in heaven? When Jesus says to the angels, go, they go. When he tells the angels to come, they come. When Jesus says to the angels, do this, they do this. They do it cheerfully, reverently, adoringly. In the same way, you, beloved, take that picture for yourself and pray for the same kind of obedience to be in you as well. That you would pray as your king himself prayed once. Not my will, but thy will be done. This is all a work of God's grace, friends. If you've tried to obey out of your own flesh, you'll hear the folly of Galatians where Paul says, having begun in the spirit, are ye now perfected in the flesh? It's all of grace. You must, you must pray for it. So with that heading, the summary is do not deceive yourselves. Take Christ and obey him as Lord, not just Savior. And then finally, let us consider enduring floods as our second heading. Now, the remainder of the text shows us the blessed effect of Christ's lordship over us. The blessed effect of Christ's lordship over us. Let me put it this way, and this is a really wonderful way to to think of this parable he's delivering. The man or woman who places Christ as Lord over their heart can depend on Christ to be Lord over all things for their sake. You see this? You, You place Christ as Lord over your own heart, and you can depend on his sovereignty as Lord over all things then for your own sake. It's a blessed thing. Verses 47 through 49. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built on a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it. For it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth Against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. In this parable, there are two homes connected to two men, and the homes represent the lives of these men. In the first home, its owner digs deep until it is anchored on solid rock. Now, boys and girls, are you hearing that know that the rock that he has anchored himself to, his life's foundation, is who? For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.11. You know, what he's saying is, the man who obeys the Lord, who calls Jesus Lord and means it, has truly and really built his life on Christ. All of it is built on Christ. This is a demonstration that Jesus has saved such a man. It's a demonstration that thy people will be made willing in the day of thy power, man's obedience does not save him, but it shows that his soul is built on Christ. But the second home is built on the earth directly. It has no foundations. It is insecure. It will not stand long. Such is the life of one Jesus says that heareth and doeth not. This is the man who says, Lord, Lord, but is deluded. His life is not actually anchored on Christ. Self-deceived, as James says. This man is a hearer of the word and not a doer of it. Now, for those of us who know such things, this is one of the grandest texts Jesus delivers against antinomianism. Boys and girls, an antinomian is one who is against the law of God for Christians to follow. Christians, in other words, are not to follow the law of God to be justified by it, We can't do that. No one can do that. Don't try to be justified in God's eyes. Don't try to be saved by your law-keeping. As a fallen fallen man or woman or, or child, you can't do it. But Christians, once saved, are called to follow the law as the rule for their life. To live as we are, holy ones, separated unto the Lord. And antinomians are those who are against the law, which is what that means. Deny this use of the law of God thinking it is a denial of the grace of God to tell people to obey God. But the man in this parable, boys and girls, who has the insecure life is the antinomian. The man who calls Jesus Lord, Lord, but does not do what he says. These are the ones who are self-deluded into thinking Jesus has saved them. But the man who has a secure home is no antinomian. He is the man who loves the law of God in Psalm 119. He loves the commandments of God. Why? Because he loves Jesus. He even exerts great energy and effort in his obedience. He digs deep. He exerts a holy expulsion of spirituality in obeying Christ's commandments. Think of how the Apostle Paul spoke. He speaks of striving, doesn't he, in his Christian life. That's how he lived the Christian life. He runs. He puts his body under subjection that he would not be disqualified. He strives to please his Lord and his Master in all things. And that's what the true believer is like. They ask, Jesus, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Psalm 119.32 You need to ask God to be at work in you, to help you to obey, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 Friends, we obey out of the grace of God. Pray, thy will be done, and ask, O Lord, give me power to obey. And what you see here in this, this picture of these two homes is Jesus says both the antinomian and the believer will experience tribulation. He says of both, a flood arose and the stream beat vehemently on that house, a violent, violent assault from a great body of water. And if you've ever seen a flood in action, and some of you have come from parts of the country where they have flooding, and whole cities are almost wiped away. A flood is a terrible, terrible picture, which is why it is that prototype in the book of Genesis of the final judgment. The whole earth swept clean away by the great flood. The great volume of water will destroy anything. And so... Jesus does teach here, right? If we think of the final judgment, we'll get to that a little later. This is not just the final judgment. But in the final judgment, those not anchored in Christ are swept clean away into hell by the fierce power of God's wrath. And the ruin of that house was great. The equivalent of, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. But on the other hand, what did the Apostle John say? And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that what? doeth the will of God abideth forever. And that's the picture here, friends. Those who do the will of God from the heart, from a heart born again, they are the ones who live forever. The Bible says this in so many different places, in so many different ways, that it is our blindness to not see it. But even before the final judgment to come, all of us face tribulation. You know this yourself. Acts 14.22, we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. You will face great floods. You will face trials, tribulation, and persecution. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. This is where you need to remember the Lord's sovereignty, friends. You know, we often... Think how, how marvelous it is that the Lord is sovereign, right? We, we we sang and we heard from Psalm 93 several months ago, almost a year ago now. And we remember that the Lord reigneth, that he sits above the floods. And when the floods lift up their voice, the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. We we are rejoiced to know that our Lord Jesus Christ has all power in heaven and on earth. Right? He sits at God's right hand, is the head of all things for the good of his church. And we rejoice over that sovereignty, right? And we see that the Lord Jesus is sovereign over the floods of trials and tribulations. But friends, if you don't bow down to his sovereignty yourself, you have have no expectation, the Lord says, that any of his sovereignty is exercised on your behalf. Remember, the floods come and immediately, immediately this house is destroyed in our text. What you need to see, friends, is those who honor Christ's sovereignty by bowing down to him as sovereign in their hearts can depend on his sovereignty to be exercised to care for them. What a thing it is, friends, to tell the Lord, Lord, help me. Oh, sovereign God, help me. And yet you have refused all along to do anything the Lord has told you to do. If you treat Jesus as your sovereign, expect Jesus to exercise his sovereignty for you. For them that honor me will I honor, is his promise. And what you see here then, friends, is the more you apply the doctrine of Christ's total sovereignty, Right? You, we love to say, what, what did R.C. Sproul says: there's not a single maverick molecule in the universe. We like to say that, and yet we want to imagine we have a maverick heart, that cannot or should not bow down to Christ. But the more you apply the doctrine of Christ's total sovereignty to your life, the greater your assurance will be, child of God. For it is a testimony that you have built your life on a truly solid foundation. And this is the stuff saving faith is made of, believer. The assurance of your salvation, we considered this when we considered Peter a long time ago. The assurance of our salvation is tied to our submission to Christ's will. When you walk in the paths of God in Christ's uh, will, the Bible says we are more assured of our salvation. So when you walk with the Lord closely, always obeying and repenting by faith, when life's storms come, your assurance you are the Lord's is so great that you know your life will endure. You're not tossed to and fro with every wave. Because you have all along been walking closely with the Savior and you know he is true to his word. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you remember, you remember that is tied in Matthew closely to all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. So take to heart, friends, what Jesus has preached in the Sermon on the Plain. You are to love those who hate you. You are to do good to them that persecute you. You are to be kind to the unthankful. You are to be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. You are not to be censorious. You are to be forgiving. You are to be benevolent. You are not to be a hypocrite. You are to speak words that edify out of a reborn heart, making sure that every idle word is accounted for. Every command has challenged us in this sermon. But by God's help, he says, put them to practice. Otherwise, he says to you tonight or this morning, rather, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If not, friend, let me just say, just have the decency of Richard Dawkins and say you just don't believe what the book says. That man will probably have fewer stripes and beatings than professing Christians who've gone their whole life saying Lord, Lord, because at least he was not a hypocrite. In every area of your life, then say, let me inquire what the will of the Lord is. Education, employment, relationships, living in this evil age, child rearing, etc. Where will you find it? In this book. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's a wonderful thing, beloved, to know that Christ loves you so much that he has given himself to you in the format of this book. You know, so many who are deluded think that they need to learn the will of God by listening for some quiet, still voice or something. But he has given you a very large book by which you may know the will of God. Well, as the Lord concludes his sermon and we conclude our time in it, you see that Jesus is calling for a response to his word preached. Every sermon, friends, insofar as it is biblical anyhow, demands not just a hearing of it, but a response to it. So how do you respond to Jesus' saying today? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? What is your response? I pray your response is to call on God for help, to obey him in every part of your life. And you do it as well. This is the glory of the gospel, right? We, we obey knowing, as the apostle said in Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. That Jesus Christ is gracious to cover all our faults when we fall short. We all fall short, beloved. Never despair of that, but never let your falling short of the commandments of God make you complacent. Have grace. Have grace from the Lord Jesus to spur you all the more when you stumble and fall, knowing that he grabs hold of you to pick you up when you fall, freely covering your faults. We don't obey to be saved, but we obey because we are saved. And it testifies of that fact. And that means, again, that our assurance grows that we are truly the Lord's when we obey from the heart. And you need to be in the habit of obedience before trials come. Before the rushing waters come and threatens to sweep you away immediately, so many professing believers, I should say, have been swept away in the time of their trials. Seek out every area of your life where you have not put Christ on the throne and thrown him king over your whole heart, praying thy kingdom come, praying thy will be done. So friends, may you all leave this place, beloved, not just worshiping Christ, but also obeying him, knowing obedience is better than sacrifice. And may you then not hear on that last great day, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Oh, but instead, may you all hear our Lord say what? Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. May God help us all. Amen. Please rise for prayer, if able. O Lord, our God, we confess before you, Father, that we are often those who confess that Jesus is Lord, and yet our lives testify contrary to it. Oh, Lord, our God, we pray if any here have been convicted by the Holy Ghost and don't know Jesus Christ, that this would be the day of salvation for them, that they would turn to the Lord. If there are any backsliders here or those who have uh, just believed they are Christians um, but haven't had the fruit of saving faith, we pray that you would uh, um, cause them to be born again from above. Give them saving faith that they may obey Jesus as Lord not to be saved by their obedience, but to be saved uh, through the grace of our Lord and then obeying from the heart. And for all of us, Father, who believe, uh, help thou our unbelief. Lord, we confess before you that we fall short of many of your commandments. Help us, Father. We pray this day, O God, that thy kingdom would come in our hearts. We pray as well that thy will would be done in our hearts, in earth as it is in heaven that we would not be hypocrites testifying to all men that they must turn to the Lordship of Christ while we are workers of iniquity. O God, only you can save us from hypocrisy. Help us, O God, and we will surely be helped. We pray now that for the glory of Christ, that we would leave this place being uh, doers of the word and not just hearers of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.